This is the official HITS training and consulting podcast. We are America's law enforcement canine training resource. We're raising the training bar for police dogs everywhere by discussing the intricate details of the training techniques used by the experts. HITS radio is merging the training world with the real world. You've been there. We've been there too. Welcome to HITS radio. I'm your host, Jeff Meyer. Today I have a special guest with me, it's uh, Mike Ritland. Mike's very well known, um, does a lot of different projects going on. We'll talk about his background a little bit, but just about everybody uh, listening I'm sure knows who Mike Ritland is. So I brought him on today because I wanted to discuss uh, what I think is somewhat of a common problem. And what that is, is is dealing with the difficult dog. And I thought Mike's a perfect uh, person to discuss this because he has his Warrior Dog Foundation and he's dealt with probably the world's most difficult dogs. and is able to rehab them to a point where they at least they get a a decent life in their retirement and he can kind of explain what he does with them but what i've seen several times is i've seen and experienced it myself is go and you selection test a dog and when you're doing the selection test you're doing all the basic stuff and i'll selection test a dog you know push his buttons a little bit just to see if he's the type with the propensity to come up the leash because quite frankly i've just seen too many really really good dogs that don't come up the leash that when I see it, I just avoid it. It's just not worth the trouble. But what happens sometimes, and it's not, I don't think, terribly uncommon, is, is your selection testing a dog. He tests well because it's all fun. He's The dog's doing what he wants to do. Get him back home. You've spent a few weeks adjusting it to get him adjusted to his new life and new handler. And then when you start putting a little bit of control into the dog, whether it's, you know, I've seen it from, you know, either too much compulsion, of course, or even just minor things that the dog decides, hey, this isn't what I signed up for. I just want all fun and start seeing a little more personality come out of the dog. Sometimes they're, you know, either snappy to the handler or, you know, all the way up to the extreme coming up the leash and and doing damage to the handler. And I've seen people uh, react, in my opinion, incorrectly. And I thought Mike has a lot of experience dealing with those types of dogs, many of them on the, the tail end of their career, but also from selling dogs and selecting dogs. He's dealt with dogs you know, on the beginning of their careers. And I, from talking to him, I know he's been successful in working those types of dogs and they'll make fine dogs. It's just a matter of working within the, the, the personality of that dog and, and kind of working around some of their quirks. So without uh, delaying any longer, uh, here's Mike and we'll just kind of go down the list. Mike, how are you today? I'm good. I appreciate you having me on and I look forward to, to having a chat. So as I said in the intro, I, um, obviously, you know, we can kind of go over it. You, you've got a lot of irons in the fire. What are, what are a couple of things you got going on right now? So the kind of the big few things that I'm, I'm primarily focused on is, uh, is the online training that actually kind of addresses, or I would say I, I've pulled a lot of the lessons we're going to talk about today and, and apply them into, into some of the video representations that I uh, use for the online training. Um, I've got a number of products coming out here shortly that, uh, that I think are going to be good additions to the canine industry. It's a, a collar and leash uh, that's already actually available on Ray Allen, uh, as well as the CBD oil that's available at trichosupplements.com. And then I'll have uh, some food and treats and a, and a dog crate that I uh, essentially designed from scratch over the last uh, about 18, 20 months uh, with a company that's coming out soon, uh, as well as a few other uh, more minor products, but, um, that, and then of course the mic drop podcast that, uh, is a little more mainstream. I do some, some dog stuff on it, but, uh, most of it is more kind of mainstream military law enforcement, sure. 
just pop pop culture as it relates to government and politics and stuff like that. But um, I do still sell, you know, the occasional police dog, uh, personal protection dog. And then, of course, I, uh, as the founder of the Warrior Dog Foundation, I maintain uh, usually around 20 retired dogs from really all different capacities that uh, many of the lessons that I'm going to talk about today uh, are derived from. You know, we've got dogs from, sure. you know, p- police departments, military units, special operations, federal law enforcement, secret service, you name it, we've, you know, kind of run the gamut, customs, border patrol, um, any any unit that's had dogs that uses them in, a, in an operational capacity uh, on behalf of this nation. You know, we've we've taken dogs in from just about all of them. Okay, and I want to mention to our, our listeners too today that um, Mike is in uh, in a small part of Texas, and we're doing this over the internet. So every once in a while, he's going to drop out just a little bit because of the the internet connection. So I apologize for the the sound quality, but I think the the content is worth suffering through that. And and that being said, you did drop out just a second when you mentioned how many dogs you have, uh, you know, on average at any given time on the warrior dog side of your kennels. Yeah, so right now we have 19, uh, you know, which, you know, is a pretty common number. I mean, usually right around 20, uh, plus or minus, you know, a, a couple. So a uh, pretty big, big stable of dogs that are all sure. all there for a reason, and it's not because they're easy to deal with. Uh, <laughs> and and some of those dogs you, you're able to kind of rehab, if you will, and then turn them back out to, to be work some more towards the end of their life. Is that correct? Yeah, we've had uh, had a number of dogs that have come in uh, that were young enough that you know, with for whatever reason uh, or whatever department they were at, rather, um, and, and reasons being that they just were were at a level where they were not in a, in a position to be able to to handle uh, the dogs or deal with some of their issues. Um, unquestionably, some of them were created at those units, uh, but just you know, not not uh, mixing well, and and so we were able to spend uh, some time with them, rehabilitate them, kind of unwind them, hit the reset button on them and get them back uh, out to, to some departments because they still had some usable, usable time on. Sure. Uh, we've also done that with some, some dogs that, uh, you know, we were able to just rehome and, and get them into people's houses that had experience working with dogs and, and, uh, you know, but got them from where they were when they came in to, uh, to where, you know, again, using some of these principles that we'll talk about, uh, you know, to get them, get them where they could, they could, just live a normal life in somebody's house. Sure. So getting, getting to that point, that's what, uh, you know, I'd mentioned at the beginning. And I, I think everybody that's been doing this profession for a while has seen it. Some of us have uh, experienced it and have the scars to, to prove it. Yeah. But you get the dog that, uh, for whatever reason, you know, either it's, uh, you know, we have to, we have to, you know, take, take the blame that improper training a lot of times is going to, be one of the causes of it. Certainly the drives and characteristics of the dog are, are a big part of it. But uh, I've learned over the years that um, through, through a lot of, uh, you know, stitches on my own that, you know, fighting the dogs isn't, isn't the right way. So if, if, uh, if somebody was to call you up and say, you know, we selection tested this dog, we like him, he hunts well, he does this well, he does that. He's good in the house. It generally, you know, he's, he's a social dog, all those different things. However, when we, you know, usually it, it, seems to me like it usually starts with like release work or some of the heavier compulsion things. They, they tell you, you know, that now when we start putting some more control on him, he's turned around, coming back at the handler. What's some of the first things you're going to talk to about that, that team? 
Sure. So, you know, to me, there's there's a combination of things that that I think make an enormous difference when you apply them in a scenario like this. Number one is a is a building of of uh, confidence in the relationship between the dog and the handler. And one of the ways that that I find is most effective to accommodate or accomplish that is to to really micromanage the dog's environment. And by that, I mean I like to neutralize all of the other stimuli that the dog comes in contact with. Um, in the outside world and, and get rid of all of it. So that means that dog is going to be, you know, in a crate uh, or in a, in a smaller kennel run other than when he's out, you know, and you're working with him. Uh, so that's step one is, uh-huh. that, you know, if you put yourself in the dog's shoes is that if there's all these other stimuli taking place that are, you know, competing with the, the time that you're spending with him, generally speaking, that, that uh, you know, the, the blocks of hours in the day are going to, uh, overwhelm the dog in terms of he's spending more time doing things with other people and, and other animals or free time in the backyard or, or even just watching things take place where there's a lot of stimulation going on that, that has nothing to do with you. And so percentage-wise, you're you're behind the power curve. So I like to crate a dog uh, a lot, uh, you know, for a few weeks, a couple of months, you know, think of, of the boot camp scenario. Um, and this is, you know, this is what I do with, with all the dogs that come in. This is what I recommend in my online training and and walking people through that process, but um, is to is to really you know isolate the dog so that when it when it is out and it does have some time, it's it's now with you. The second part of that is I'm going to feed through training because food is a primary reinforcer and the dog has to have it. There's going to be a natural association with with you being a source of life for that dog. So those two things combined just by themselves can make an enormous impact. If you take a couple of weeks and and neutralize all the other sexy things that the dog has typically had any interaction with and now he gets none of that and the only time he's out of that crate he's with you and he's and he's sustaining life with food by reinforcing some of his, of his behaviors which leads me and, to- and when you let me just ask real quick there the behaviors you're reinforcing at that point are just minor stuff you're not out on the field doing a lot of bite yeah. training or anything like that at this, right yeah at just this point right yeah just just basic obedience control work you know shaping of of normal day-to-day stuff that's going to help uh the you know coexisting with that dog simpler and easier for you and a lot of times okay. i think you know people you know can't really see the forest for the trees when it comes to you know they think that that has nothing to do with on the field and my take very very adamantly is that you know, when, if you're trying to address a problem, when the problem is happening, you're already three or four steps too late. You know, you, yeah. there's a problem that that's existing well before you get to that point that that's not being addressed. And that's, you know, a respect and a bond and a relationship standpoint that you, that you clearly don't have with the dog. Uh, another component is that, you know, you're, you're building on that repetition base of that you're, you know, you're communicating to the dog that when you do something that I want, something good happens. Um, and that goes a long way in terms of money in the bank when it does come time to give the dog a correction. You know, I, I can tell you, I've, I've had a, a ton of dogs that, you know, when they first came in that first couple of weeks, I had them before we'd done this. If I put a prong collar on them and started jerking them around, I, I'd have been wearing them for sure. Sure. You know, but three, sure. four or five months down the road of doing a ton of bonding and, and just really basic work where the dog is not at a heightened level of drive, you know, that, that, you know, creates and, and, uh, you know, sets a, a concreted, 
position of authority uh, in that dog's mind where you sit because you've done so many repetitions of telling them to do something that now it goes from being a decision yeah. to a reaction. But again, the, the, the key component here is that it's when the dog is not loaded in drive. Um, and, and that's, yeah. that's really where you're going to, you know, uh, get get all your money's worth out of it because if you know no different than say a, a dog that's dog aggressive you know if and you see it all the time or or you know super yeah. reactive to gunfire what do people do yeah. is let's go put them around another dog that wants to fight and correct the hell out of them yeah or yeah. let's take them on the range and as soon as he starts freaking out let's correct him like you've got to get the dog to focus on you and listen to you well before you do that uh, before yeah. you start loading them in drive and and that number of sure there's no con- there's no communication going on at that point yeah it's just you know the dog's low. I mean, no different than you or I or, or anybody listening. You you get out in a street fight, you know, and, and your wife tries to tap you on the shoulder and tell you to, to knock it off. You're <laughs> not even going to realize that she's back there. You know, it, it's yeah. going to take her yeah. hitting you over the head with a two by four before you even realize she's trying to get your attention. And they're no different. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the last component to that is um, is when you are doing that type of work is, is in keeping in tradition with all the other, uh, things that we've built on in terms of, of paying the dog for, for a job well done is doing that same thing. I see a lot of times, you know, that people don't have a really good relationship with the dog. They don't have, uh, any real, real control, uh, or, or, um, you know, hierarchy, uh, you know, relationship status uh, established with the dog and they're out there trying to, trying to manhandle it and make it do things. And, you know, that to me, the, the, the tragic, tragic irony of that is that, you know, we as an industry, uh, you know, we go out and, and what do we test for? Super strong dogs, you know, but then when yep. they show us that strength, we try to beat it out of them, you know, and, yeah. and, and, you know, one of the things that I, I just beat the dead horse on over and over and over to everybody is really trying to, to communicate to people, you have got to put yourself in that dog's shoes, right? You know, I, I can't explain to the, to the new handler, hey, uh, or explain to the dog rather that this is your new handler and you need to listen to him. You've got to earn that, yeah. you know, and, and, and sure. if, if our expectation is to have this dog run into a building and encounter somebody who's, who's physically capable, uh, who's not scared and intent on hurting him, you better have a, a, a bad SOB to deal with somebody like that. And, and so a dog with that kind of strength and character, you know, it, 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 uh, it, continues to baffle me that we don't realize that why wouldn't he treat you the same way if you don't have a good relationship with him of, of, if he's a good dog of course he shouldn't listen to you and and if you pick a fight with him before you've gotten all the all those repetitions and, and the you know that money in the bank so to speak from a relationship standpoint where he's going to respect those corrections uh, he should give you a hard time over it um you know so it, it, it takes some time and and a little bit of timing and patience and and frankly you know super super consistent work and a lot of dedication um you know but so my question here would be um you know i got the dog from the vendor maybe it's my second third dog it doesn't matter you know i've got a, i know i have a nice dog he's a high drive dog um i've listened to this podcast i've you know listened to some of your stuff so i want to go with this crate program which you know makes sense to me I bring him home. I start doing the crate thing. And because he's just a high, you know, typically a Mal or Dutchie or just spun up dog, the more I crate him, the more spun up he's getting. He's, you know, eating the crate. So, you know, I, could, I know I can get a metal crate or whatever, but is there a time that they adjust to that program? You know, I would, I envision it the first week or two being kind of like, you know, a bit of a nightmare. Sure. Uh, I mean, it, it can be, but the, you know, from, from my perspective, you know, that's your job. 
you know, is, yeah. is, you know, your, your goal in life is to, is to do that. So, you know, that just means you need to get the dog out more and, and give him outlets from an exercise standpoint, uh, feeding good food, lots of really good, good high energy exercise, uh, are really good ways to, to balance that. And they're also good bonding experiences as well. Um, you know, so n- nothing n- to me, there's nothing better than, you know, going to, if, if you've got a fenced in backyard, that's big enough, fantastic. If you don't, uh, you know, find the nearest uh, place that's that you can exercise the dog yeah. off leash and whatever, and use a chuck it, chuck it wand with two balls and and run his <laughs> run his ass into the ground. Yeah, you know, physically over and over, and then at the end of that, uh, you know, before he's heat stroked and and uh, breathing so heavy that he's got no food drive you know, feel free to, to spend three or four minutes shaping a little bit of, you know, just healing or recalls or, or whatever. And, um, you know, the recalls, the healing and, and the outing, those three things, you know, feel free to do that after the dog is a little bit physically exhausted. But the key component to that is that he's being rewarded for doing those things, you know, and, and, and we're just doing a little bit of food, right? We're not going to float right. the dog or anything. Or just a, yeah. I mean, it's, to here there. yeah. I mean, like I, I could, you know, use either bill Jack to, to feed and train or yeah. something like Zooks, you know, just really, really small yeah. pieces that uh, yeah. you can also use the ball. I mean, you know, teaching the dog yeah. to out with a ball uh, is a key component to that too. I mean, that's generally where you see the problems is, is outing. Um, you know, so yeah. if, if a dog has a hard time outing on a ball, rest assured, he's going to have a much harder time outing on, on the man, uh, you know, but, sure. uh, but you, you see that a lot where, you know, a dog won't, you know, they're choking a dog off of a ball to get a ball from him and then going out and putting a, a remote collar or, or, uh, you know, a prong collar or several different, uh, compulsion. Yeah. All the above, you know, or, or they're flanking the dog or choking him off or whatever. And, and, you know, the thing that, that I think again is important to reiterate is, is again, putting yourself in that dog's shoes is that, you know, if we can, if we can agree and, and ultimately realize and understand that that dog's mind works more like a calculator than it does our mind. You know, the dog doesn't think in a language and, and that's something for a yeah. lot of people that they don't think of it until you, you mention that. And they're like, wow, I never really thought of that. You really need to think of that because the dog isn't going to sit there with logic and, and reason his way through a bite work scenario. His mind is a plus B equals C. And so that's why when you see, you know, if you walk up to your dog, um, you know, while he's on the bite and he starts whining and spinning and whatever there, there, that's a classic a plus B equals C yeah. scenario where that dog is anticipating yeah. getting, getting it handed to him, yeah. you know, and, and if that's yeah. the case, then, then you've got to take a few steps back and work on your relationship before you ever even do any bite work again. Um, you know, I like to use tugs uh, and balls and balls on strings and get dogs to out on those things with me under tension uh, by using either another one uh, at first to, to mark and reward the out by just throwing the ball for them or, or uh, mm-hmm. letting them regrip on the tug, you know, and, and making them pause for a second, things like that. You know, you've got to be able to get to that level with your dog first before uh, you're worried about outing on on the man while he's fighting him and, sure. and in that defensive which mode. which uh, is a good point that um people who have been listening to our podcast we did a three-part series with uh cameron on marker training and i know yeah. it's uh, had enough discussions with you that it's the same so i think people if they're listening they like that uh i think you would agree that this is a great time just to introduce a, a mark and you can just use the same uh games that we used in, in those podcasts there when we talked about charging the mark just to to market and give the dog the toy market and give the dog the toy just to to build that 
that um, repetition. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, that that's the, uh, it's a great point. It's something that I, I use all the time. And again, with my online training, all of the principles that I'm talking about here are, are in, you know, a series of a bunch of different videos that, that you can apply to all of these things. You know, that the absence of a behavior is still a desired behavior. Uh, in this case, it's, you know, aggression, but it, it should be rewarded as such. And, and again, you know, back to the, the clicker thing is that, um, you know, why a lot of people I think tend to scoff even, you know, as much science and as many times as it's been proven to be incredibly effective within our industry, I think there's still a fair bit of resistance in a lot of ways to it. Um, you know, but again, if you think, if you think about it from the standpoint of the dog that again, he's not thinking in a language, he's making associations. And so that, that mark, I mean, whether it's verbal or a clicker or whatever you want to use, snapping your fingers, uh, whatever is that, is that that is part of that equation, uh, in which that dog is actually figuring the world out. And so it's, it's really important to have something like that, that bridges those things together. And it's only going to speed this process up enormously, you know, and to me, I would, you know, for those people that are still listening saying, yeah, it's, it's garbage. What do you have to lose by giving it a shot? You know, exactly. Um, Exactly. So, yeah. So now you say you moving forward, you've, you've done the the great thing. You've, you've gone nice and slow. You're working with the dog, the relationship, you know, we'll we'll say that is definitely there. The dog um, definitely understands the pack leader and, and you're, everything is going good. Um, you've done, you know, lots of different, the patrol work, you're working your way down through building searches and area searches. And probably a lot of times you may take the dog off physically, uh, you start working the release and, uh, even on the release, he's releasing good, but you know, just out of the blue for whatever reason. And I mean, obviously there's a reason, but, uh, the dog, dog turns around and exhibits some type of handler aggression, either, you know, save, save for this, for this question, it's simply, a you know, a pronounced growl, maybe not a, a bite. Um, how are you going to handle that the first time you see that? So for me, the, you know, I'm going to take a few steps back and, and try to figure out why that happened, you know, uh, and it could be a training issue thing in terms of baggage that, you know, that he's made that association enough. It could be a body language thing between you and him. I mean, there's a number of reasons as to why, uh, to me, the, the key component is, is figuring out the why and then working sure. a few steps backwards. And one of the ways you know, that I like to try to redirect dogs, whether it's, you know, recalling, uh, from a track and bite or from a send off or, uh, or just, you know, the dogs chasing something you don't want them to is, is I always like to have something, uh, you know, to be able to, to give that dog, you know, a a satiation of what he's trying to accomplish. Now, in that case, if Uh he growls at me, am I going to reward him with a tug? No, I'm not. Um, you know, but to me taking it a, a, a step, kind of back is that, you know, getting, getting him to where you're going to reward him outing in the first place so that there's, there's not that absence of, of, sure. of something good to where now he can default to something bad. Uh, and, and one of the things I like to incorporate a lot is, is exactly that as a tug where, you know, if I'm healing the dog off after a, uh, you know, after an out and, and transport or you get them back into a heel and walk away or, or whatever is reward that with a tug so that, uh, so that, you know, you're, you're not ending the game every single time on, you don't get to play anymore sure. now. Hey, yeah. you get to come play with me and, and, and try to, uh, and have fun. Yeah. And, and try to extinguish that, uh, you know, that, um, that, that air of, of tension, because it's, to me, it's no different than like, we've all seen, you know, two intact male dogs that encounter each other on a walk or, you know, a, a stray dog comes running up and, and they're standing there and, and the, you know, the tails are feathering and, and nobody's moving. 
you know, and, and there's now yeah. all of a sudden there's all this tension in the air is that to me, it's kind of that same scenario. Whereas if you redirect the dogs, you know, throw a ball for one of them or, you know, just start walking, Hey, you know, yeah. you know, just kind of blow it off. Hey, let's keep yeah. going and, and, and make light of it. Yeah. And a lot of times it kind of clicks that mental refresh button on their, on their mental computer screen. And, um, yeah. And that's kind of where I'm going with that question is, is, you know, again, I, I, I learned, learned the hard way, um, kind of very early on, I had a really, really uh, rank dog, the very first dog I had. And, and he would routinely uh, turn around and tag me. Um, and what, what I was taught then was that, you know, anytime he wants to pick a fight, I have to win that fight. Yeah. I, I, through, through experience, what I've learned is that a lot of these things are as big of a deal as I make them. So I kind of want your opinion. It, for me, the, what I'm describing, if, if it's not been a problem, you haven't had a big problem, the dog turns around shows you a, a little bit of his ass by growling or something some uh, definitely a undesirable behavior if 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 it ha- if he's not coming back at me and it's only happened once i want your opinion but for me i'm not going to make it any big deal i'm going to move on it completely ignored i think it diminishes uh in the dog's mind it was like that doesn't that that's, that's kind of funny dog that you would even think i'd scare about that and i'll i'll bank that and then i'll i'll do like you said and kind of back up and and realize I pushed a button there. I don't want to push that button again, Yeah, but I'm not going to answer the bell every time that the dog wants to show me something. Is that yeah, kind I, of what you, where you're at too? Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. I mean, to me, the, you know, again, the, I think, you know, in that scenario, the key component or one of the biggest components is figuring out why, but yes, in, in terms of the response is to make light of it, to extinguish it. Um, you know, so long as there's not a blatant uh, you know, if the sure. dog is coming after you taking a shot at the title, then yeah, we're, we're going to do the man dance. Yeah. You better win that one. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, if, if there's not that it's, you know, yeah, shut up, whatever. And just, you know, walk off with them, you know, don't, don't let them punk you out and back off of them. Yeah. But don't accept that as an invitation to get into a fight either. Um, you know, and I, yeah. and I think that diffuses a lot of things again, just like two dogs running into, into each other. It's that, it's that same kind of premises that, you know, if you, if you just kind of stand there and he growls and you kind of look at him and make eye contact and stand there like, okay, well, what are you going to do? Or you start trying to correct him. I mean, he's looking for a fight, you know, at that point, yeah. you're, you're yeah. giving him what he wants, whether you realize it or yeah. not, even if you correct him, you know, we as human beings reason that, that that's the, the right call to the dog. He, he wants you to, to respond, you know, yeah, so, they, they dig it. Yeah. Yeah, so, so <laughs> this is fun. Yeah, because again, you know, his his genetics and, and our selection process have have weeded out uh, you know the dogs that aren't that way, and and yeah. there's there's a strength in character that should be appreciated, um, but a lot of times it gets mis mismanaged and ultimately turns into into problems, and then they they further exacerbate them by continuing to pick fights and correct dogs, and mm-hmm. you know, in, in that capacity. And in, in my opinion, I think that it's that. You know, I think, and and again, I, I, if 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 you don't agree with that, I'd, I'd love to hear your side of it. But what I what I see is, I think the extremely ranked dogs that we saw twenty five years ago, I think they've been selectively bred out. I don't see those dogs nearly as much. I think when you do see those dogs, it's so prevalent in the selection test when they want to fight you over every little thing that most people don't get those dogs anyway. The the vendors know what they have and probably try to send them to the people who don't mind those kind of dogs. So it seems to me like the, the problem we're getting is exactly what I'm describing. The the dog that kind of surprises you that, you know, we would say out of the blue, but it's not out of the blue. But for one day during training, the dog starts showing a little bit of, of problems. And I what I see is either people back up and, and show some fear, which obviously is wrong. Um, and I think everybody knows that. And then I see more often people bring the fight in you know, immensely right off the bat. And then that trust is gone. And then 
the dog's like, Hey, this is kind of fun. I, I'll do that some more. Yeah. I, is that kind of what you, what you would see also? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I mean, I can tell you, you know, both on the, you, you really don't see dogs that I would consider truly dominant, uh, you know, naturally forward aggressive to the point where they're willing to do that with, with anybody and everybody given any opportunity. I mean, those dogs are, are so excruciatingly rare anymore, uh, that, that, you know, it's, it's, it's really not even almost worth talking about having said that. Yeah, I think a lot of times people create uh, an assemblance of that and think that's what they have, not realizing that they've inadvertently created it. I can tell you that, you know, almost all of the dogs that we get in here at the Warrior Dog Foundation, and, and at this point, uh, you know, we've taken in well over 100 dogs in the last nine years. And, and again, all of these dogs are, are these types of dogs. And I can tell you that, you know, overwhelmingly, um, that my experiences with them is that by doing the things that I'm talking about doing uh, and, and just taking a, a little bit of a pregnant pause, a few deep breaths, and just, just unwinding the dog a little bit, uh, you see enormous improvements um, in their, their defensive aggression and handler reactivity and things of that nature. Now, you know, I don't say that to, to speak poorly of, of the units that, sure. they, that they came from, uh, because I, I'm also not naive to the, the timeline constraints put on them, the operational tempo that these guys are putting up with. And, and a lot of times unrealistic expectations of leadership that don't really understand dogs. And, and that sucks. Um, you know, so a lot of times it's, it's a, it's kind of a perfect storm of a lot of different, um, you know, factors that aren't just the dog handler training, uh, component, but, uh, but at any rate, you know, from my perspective, if we're looking at the big picture, it's, you know, it, it's, it's on the handler and the trainers to say, you know, hey, I know you're saying this dog needs to be street ready at such and such date, but he's just not. I need some more time to spend with him or yeah. we're going to be washing him out and starting completely over, which is far worse. So, um, you know, take that time. I mean, the, the standard protocol for here with, you know, every dog that we get in is, uh, you know, I've got a pouch of food, a marker, a uh, clicker and uh you know, the first several days that they're here, I just, I fill, fill that with their food. I get them out, you know, every couple of hours and that's how they eat. And I just walk around the field. I don't say anything to them. I don't look at them. I completely ignore them. Uh, and if that dog walks over to me, I mark it, give him some food. I turn my back and I walk away from him. Uh, and, and within three or four days, you've got a dog who, if I'd have grabbed his collar, he'd have bitten me. If I'd have tried to put yeah. him back in his, in his kennel run, he'd have bit me. If I'd have come towards him or, or, you know, made too fierce of eye contact, he'd have bit me. Um, and, and now three or four days later, you know, that I can, I can groom him. I can pet him. I can play ball with him. He'll spit the yeah. ball out. You know, I mean, it, it's, it's really astounding how simple just something like that is where you can completely um, transition or, or um, you know, com completely flip the entire relationship that, that the dog thinks it has with human beings completely on its head by doing things like that and, and really micromanaging his environment and, uh, you know, making all good things coming from you and not trying to force it. Um, you know, to me, it's a good dog is kind of like wine. You, you can't, you can't rush it and you got to just kind of let it happen. And, and one of the analogies I like to use, and this I think is incredibly apt for working dogs, but even for, you know, shelter dogs is that, uh, when you go into a, say a busy restaurant, uh, and everybody stops and looks at you and, and pays attention to you and, you know, the music stops and people, you know, stop eating and, and watch you walk in. What does that do? It makes you really uncomfortable. Uh, you know, now imagine people getting up and shoving food in your mouth and putting their hands on, you know, you don't know any of these people, yeah. environment you've never been in, 
you know, most of us are going to be fighting people for stuff like that. On the transverse, you know, if you walk in and, and nobody even realizes that you came in, they don't even look at you. It's very comfortable. It's very easy to settle into a booth and, and be nice and comfortable. And so yeah. if you kind of, you know, think of that same mentality, you know, again, that dog doesn't know that you're his new handler and that he's a cop dog now and you guys are going to be partners and it's going to be awesome. You know, he, he's got to learn that. And, and so, you know, take your time a little bit and then let him come to you. Let that happen. Build that relationship and bond through food, through exercise, through, uh, you know, training with, with food and treats and, and just kind of letting that hap- that process happen a little more organically and stop trying to trying to rush it. And you could, you could do, like you said, the pregnant pause. So, you know, maybe your everything's going along fine. Now all of a sudden this starts manifesting itself in week five of your patrol dog Academy. There'd be no reason to say, let's not do bite work for a couple of weeks. Let's yeah. go back and, and do some fun stuff and, and not make this problem any worse. And maybe try to, to get this dog, clear-headed before we go back into doing that right absolutely you know i mean how many times have we all seen you know during during say a handler course where uh you know the handler's having trouble getting the dog to out during detection you know and then they're going to go do bite work the next day you know i mean yes of of course bad things are going to happen you know to me like at that point i'm going to have two rewards and half of or even three quarters of the training of, of actually doing detection work is once he has that, now we're going to go off to the side in another room and, and with two balls, we're going to work on outs for 20 minutes before we run another detection scenario to, to simmer that, sure. you know, that conflict down of where the dog is, is so driven and you've got the one toy and you're choking him off of it and just raising that, that up because, you know, the, the toy is a, uh, or I should say bite work is an extension of getting a dog to out on a toy, you know, sure. that's of a higher level. So if, if there's even the slightest bit of conflict or problem outing a dog on a single toy that needs to, to come first and you need to have that completely dialed in before you start trying to do it on, on the man, in my opinion. Yeah. And as a trainer, if you're, if you are the trainer or even if you're just someone else in the unit that's observing all of it, the people who are standing back are the ones who really, especially when I train people, I spend as much time monitoring the handler because if, if it's going, you know, hard that day over the toy and the detection side of it, I'm not going to go do man work because he's already frustrated. It's already, you know, I've got a bad recipe there. So I'm going to figure out something else to do for the rest of the day before I, yeah, you know, go exacerbate the problem because the handlers and, you know, either brought some stuff in from home or he's frustrated the dog, whatever it is. I think that's, part of the training that sometimes we uh, overlook a little bit. Yeah. I mean, to me, it's, it's no different than recovery during weight training. You know, it, it's something that's, that's largely underutilized, you know, working on a relationship is, is the foundation. That's the backbone. If you don't have that, everything else is going to be, uh, be a problem. You know, if, if, if you're running into trouble during a handler course and, you know, there's an issue with outing a toy or just, you know, a bad relationship, hand that dog a Kong ball and go for a two hour walk, letting him carry it around the whole time, you know, bring, bring, yeah. bring some of that, that possessiveness and, and the guardiness and the conflict with you over something like that down several notches by, by making it not such a big deal. I mean, so one of the, the things that we've done here with some dogs that had what I would consider over the top or extreme possessiveness over toys as I put them in my classroom, which is a 40 foot by 40 foot, um, chain, chain link, uh, area within my training field that has absolutely nothing in it. And so I can introduce whatever I want to introduce if the dog's having issues or I want to get them de- desensitized to something or stop caring about something, toys being one of them. So I may throw, you know, 15 Kong balls 
balls or chuckets in there and just start kicking them all around, not giving a shit, frankly, of, of you know, I don't care about yeah. them, you don't care about them. And, and I've seen that and it's worked for us in a, in a number of occasions where, you know, a dog that was before unmanageably possessive over something, now he's at least manageable. I mean, it's not going to take take sure. that out to where he doesn't care anymore, but but it'll take that edge off. Uh, it's almost like a toy Xanax, if you will, in, in terms of, <laughs> of uh, you know, making him realize that, hey, the entire world isn't just this one toy that you and I are fighting over. And, you know, to throw another analogy, it's like 30 Marines in a bar and one hot chick walks in. You know, if there's 40, <laughs> 40 hot women in there, it's not, not going to be a problem. If there's one, now there's a huge, huge issue. So, um, but, uh, you know, think, thinking in, in, in terms of those relatable uh, you know, human analogy I th- analogies. I think yeah. is, a, is a real key component to uh, to, to solving sure. problems during canine training and really trying to project yourself, put yourself in that dog's shoes, and say, okay, well, if I was in that position, and and trying trying to make those associations the same way the dog is, it uh, it's paid huge dividends for us. You know, here dealing with all of these really, sure. really tough uh, warrior dogs. So to wrap this all up, if uh, you find yourself, you're in this situation, you've got a dog that you like, he's, he's got the drives, he's got everything you want, all the, all the different ingredients that you went to selection test for you, you have, and now you're, you realize he's got a few extra things that you don't like being this, this possible handler aggression. I think from, you know, what, what you, what you're saying, Mike, is that true handler aggression in a dog is extremely rare. So if they've seen that, chances are very, very high that they can rehab it in the, in the training, not have to get a new dog, not have to go through battles the rest of their career, kind of work through it. And I think, uh, obviously we could point them to, to your website. Cause I, I think you've got quite a few different online things to, to work with, but the, the key of the show, I guess is what I wanted to explain is that all's not lost. These are not the world's hardest dogs to, uh, to work with. It seems to me like over, over the, you know, 25 years that I've been around this, they have selectively bred very, very good quality dogs that a lot of the really high drive, high, high rank drive dogs, you just don't see that much. So I would say all's not lost, you know, work out with, uh, you know, find a good trainer in your area. If, even if you're a trainer and you're a very experienced trainer, if you haven't dealt with this before, reach out to some other departments and maybe somebody has some ideas that, that you can work through this. And, and again, you know, check out some, some online places, you know, look at, look at Mike's website, uh, get in touch with Mike. He can probably uh, walk you through some things. So anything else to add on that? Yeah. I mean, all great points. And, um, kind of the last thing I, w- I would add to wrap it up is, is, you know, dovetailing onto what you said, it not only is all not lost, but realize that, you know, the dog is, is exhibiting things that, that, that frankly you want, you know, you, you want a dog that's, that's going to stand up and, and have some, some sack and brazance and, 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 and challenge, you know, scenarios where he feels like, uh, things aren't, aren't right, you know? And so, um, you know, realize that, uh, that you can, you can train your way out of that because you trained your way into it. And, and the, the biggest piece of advice yeah. from kind of a 30,000 foot view standpoint on that is I would say, you know, think of it like you're, you're training a 500 pound silverback gorilla, you know, or, or a chicken, you know, either one that, that where compulsion's not going to work, you know, try to take that out of your arsenal for, <laughs> for a few weeks and, and try to try to train your way smart, smartly and, and train smarter and yeah. train your way out of it as opposed to forcing him into a corner. 
um, you know, because the, the, the types of things that, you know, you, you, some of the behaviors taught at zoos or uh, in big animal sanctuaries and, and predatorial sanctuaries and some of the things that they've been able to do with big cats and gorillas and things like that just from, you know, vet exams and drawing blood out of tiger's tails using marker training and things like that is that, uh, you know, it, it's it's doable. Uh, you know, stop being the, the caveman and, and don't don't take it personal. Sure. Dog challenges you a little bit and, and try to figure out a way around it instead of just uh well let me let me go full mongo and beat it out of them because uh you know that's why you're there in the first place sure and if if you find yourself discouraged with all that i'd say go back and listen to our uh training question answer podcast we did a few weeks ago about a dog that won't bite yeah and if you you could you could have that as a problem and that's something you're not going to train your way out of uh, if a dog doesn't have the drive so yeah i'd take this problem all day long over over the other end of it yeah yeah, I mean, too much engine uh, is is always better than uh, than not enough. You know, uh, figuring out how to how to exercise the brakes is a, is a far better problem than trying to figure out how to get more horsepower for sure. Because uh, you know, to me, horsepower is genetic, and uh, and brakes are training. So exactly so mike where can people uh find you so um, look for you so just mike com is is kind of the hub that has that has everything the online training is okay. is a fundamental based program that's at teamdog.pet but you can also access it from mike com. and the thing that that you know whether you're talking shooting or jujitsu or, or a lot of things that i see in life where there's online training or just within these different industries um there seems to be a lack of fundamentals, you know, and to me, you know, when I see departments or handlers or groups having, having issues or even the single, single handler and his dog, it's usually because there's a piss poor foundation and a lack of, of proper fundamentals that have, have been put in place over time, done the right way they, that, you know, the way that they need to do it. And, and it's, you know, not doing the crawl, walk, run like you need, you know, take, take some time and, sure. And, and put time into that foundation because ultimately that's that's what you're going to default to when, when you start having problems. So if it's shaky, sure. uh, your training is going to be shaky. So if you want to meet Mike, you're going to meet him at HITS uh, in Chicago. Uh, HITS uh, 2019 is going to be in Chicago. August 13th, we'll have uh, about 105, 110 vendors there, 65 or so of the best instructors in the world, lots of classes going on. Uh, what's great about HITS is besides uh, sitting in classrooms and listening to all the, the instructors. We have lots of opportunities where you can mingle with the instructors in the vendor area, have a beer with them at night. Um, all the instructors that that uh, we use, are they're, they're all deep involved in canine. So they like spending time, you know, talking to people, whether you got, uh, you know, six months on a, with a leash or 60 years with a leash. It's fun to go out and have some beers and tell some lies and exchange some training ideas. So uh, networking is a huge part of HITS. And the, what's fun about too is that it's only cops you're not going to have any civilians there no uh, no attorneys who want to sue us or sue uh, defend defend cops or anybody they're not they're not going to be there having a beer with us so you're going to be amongst all cops we'll have uh, lots of good lots of good uh, good times there a lot of good information Mike's definitely going to be there so hope to see you at HITS in Chicago and uh, the information on that is HITSK9.net HITSK9.net I'm your host Jeff Meyer you can uh, always reach me at email Jeff at HITSK9.net Thanks, and thanks again, Mike. Oh, my pleasure. Anytime. HITS Radio is brought to you by the professionals at HITS Training and Consulting. Don't miss out on the world's largest law enforcement canine training conference. Coming to the McCormick Center in Chicago, Illinois, this August, HITS has the most diverse class schedule to fit your training needs. 
and with over 100 vendors, you'll find everything you need to gear up for your next shift. Register today and save at www.hitscanine.net.